0: Hi there, and welcome to Functionally Fit. I'm Jen Rice, and I am here today with a really special guest. Her name is uh, Nicole Olson. Nicole and I met not too long ago, but connected, I think, pretty instantaneously. And uh, her story really resonated with me. I felt like it was definitely something I wanted to share uh, with our audience, and I hope that you'll find... um, her story to not only be inspiring, but something that you may want to share with, um, with others
1: too. So welcome, Nicole. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be
0: here. Yeah. So Nicole, you're out in um, Boise, Idaho, right?
1: Yes, I am. Yeah. So <laughs> how, how's
0: the weather today? It's
1: a, little it's, a little, it's a little cold, but it's sunny. I'm looking forward to going skiing tomorrow with all of our new snow.
0: Oh, wonderful. Wonderful. So Nicole, you've been a physical therapist for 22 years, right? And then um, you got into though more of a like a holistic approach to wellness um, based on your own personal story. And I was I was hoping we could kind of kick off a little bit about um, you know your physical therapy work that you've done, and then how you kind of have transitioned to you know just more of a holistic way of living, and also helping others, too, with that way of living.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for the introduction. I'm so excited to be here. And I'm really excited to share my story because um, I think there is, um, in the world of medicine, we sometimes get very niched into, I'm a I'm an MD that does orthopedic surgery and um, or a PA or whatever. And one of the things that I've really found over my many years of being a therapist is that I always say to my patients, 80% of pain is not physical, it's emotional. And and this is something I found in my own life. And so through many years of kind of not being able to get people better, um, sort of started really looking um, much more holistically and addressing the whole individual. And I kind of want to step back just a little bit and kind of share my story. Um, so I'm 48 years old when I was 14, I started throwing up. And so I am a recovered bulimic at this point. And, um, I think it's, you know, so many women, we don't know how to handle our stress. And for me at 14, it was kind of a, I sort of stumbled into it. I was at a birthday party. We were passing around a wine cooler. We didn't know very much. We were sure we were going to get drunk. I'll have of our little two drinks of our wine cooler. And so somebody said, oh, let's go throw up. So our parents won't know we've had this drink. And in the process, I threw up a lot of cake. And I was like, Ooh, hmm, I can eat more cake. That's kind of cool. Um, really having no idea what an eating disorder was. Um, and this for me, I was just unfortunately one of those individuals from that really perfect situation with a really, you know, uh, uh, we'll say a very controlling, you um, environment, uh, very high achieving. So I really ticked all the boxes for the eating disorder. And, um, and I continued to really struggle with an eating disorder well into my 20s. Um, And I, fortunately, my mom noticed that I was throwing up and got me into counseling. And um,
0: did she she notice, um, Nicole, did she notice right away? Or were there like many, a certain amount of, were you kind of pretty good at hiding it for a long time or um... I was pretty good at
1: hiding it for a long time I was deeply into bulimia by the time she um said hey you know you're I, I heard you throwing up
0: I mm-hmm. mean um, she really
1: had to confront me because I really did hide it um did you and...
0: experience a um significant uh, or a weight loss or an obvious Something from fourteen to twenty, or I was just kind of bringing this up because you know, for moms or dads out there that might be listening, like if
1: they're no, I really didn't because in my case, I was binging a lot, and because I was hiding it, I sometimes couldn't throw up um, because I didn't want my mom to know or my dad to know. Um, So I actually, I actually put on weight during high school a little bit. and uh, you know, I think though, you know, when you're a mom or a dad, you you know how much food you buy, and you know about how much your kids eat. Um, but I would also do things like my girlfriend and I would walk down to Wendy's pretty regularly and eat at their all-you-can-eat salad bar, and you know, things like that. Like, why is my child doing this sort of sort of a thing? Um, so yeah, there were a lot of there were a lot of clues. Also, just the food, I was constantly paying attention to what I ate. Uh, Very, very structured with my eating. I spent hours and hours writing down all my food and how many calories it had. A very just, uh, you know, not health, not a healthy relationship with food at all. Right.
0: And so this was probably, because we're the same age, so this was probably, you know, you're coming of age in the late 80s. um, And I know a lot of parents were really busy then the 80s were kind of like the booming 80s right in 90s um so and I know parents are busy today although you know maybe now with the last year people may be home a lot more but it is something that like you're saying it wasn't really an obvious outward sign so it's it's kind of like there's not really a a like a, you can't really blame yourself if you don't catch it early, you can't really blame, you know, but I mean, can you, are there any particular signs that you would encourage people to, um, you know, look for, or just open up more of a conversation? Is that kind of what you do with your, um, clients too, or?
1: Um, you know, because of because of my world of being a physical therapist, I probably open the conversation more from the standpoint of, you know, what does your typical diet look like? Okay. Um, you know, how much water do you drink? And it's really, um, and again, I'm also working with women typically that are a lot my age, mm-hmm. and it's really amazing. Women are really want to talk about it. They don't. Um, they often are. You know, they'll they'll very easily come out and share how they're binging or how they're, um, you know, they're purging or they're, you know, just really unhealthy relationship with food. Um, and are you
0: finding this in all people even in all ages? Um,
1: so it's. Um, you know, I, I will say that I, again, the, the group that I typically work with is probably more in the age group of like 35 to 70-ish mm-hmm. is kind of the age group I sort of end up working with in my orthopedic practice. And, um, so it's a lot of women my age who kind of did come to a, you know, we, we grew up in the eighties and the nineties where there was still this really, really thin ideal. Mm -hmm. Um, so women are really very open to talking about it. And fortunately, like my, I have a 14 year old daughter who's almost 15 and they have a lot more body awareness about, um,
0: you know, that bodies at
1: every size are beautiful. Okay. And fortunately, you know, um like my, my daughter, uh, we, we had this little funny conversation because I made a comment about her pants being, she needed some new pants. They were getting old and they were getting worn out in the bottom. And I made a comment about, did she need some new pants? And she's like, mom, my pants fit perfectly. I have a beautiful bottom. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. How beautiful is that, that she just, she loves her bottom. And, um, how much can we learn from our teenagers right now? Yeah.
0: Cause I, I definitely suffered the, um, self-inflicted body shaming couldn't couldn't get thin enough like for my high school year especially towards I remember like my senior year and um yes it was like a poor relationship with food I, I think you can emotionally find and the only thing I could think of with this because you know as I got older the you know I realized that I was emotionally eating but like the opposite way more um, mm-hmm. eating more, eating more sweets, eating more this. And that's where the heaviness can come on for a lot of us later in life. But back then I remember this feeling of like, I couldn't could possibly get thin enough, you know, eating, yes. you could live off frozen yogurt. Of course you can live off frozen yogurt, you know, who needs nutrients? Um, yeah. So I, I think that this, these campaigns we see now of, different models of different sizes, of different ages, of different everything um, is really just so great to see, right? And I'm hopeful that it continues um, to be that way, like highlighting what is considered to be a healthy body, um, not
1: something else, right? Absolutely, and I think even as a, you know, a quote unquote mature adult um it's been really valuable for me to um even sometimes on social media to see some of these pictures of you know beautiful at every size and to really like to look at these women and realize they're my size and how I look at them and I'm like wow they're so you know fit and look so healthy and I think gosh I'm that same size and yet I'm still so hard on myself yeah um, so it's a beautiful thing to really, it can be a beautiful thing to look at, again, bodies of every size and really embrace that. And again, learn from our teenagers a little bit right now. Exactly.
0: I do catch myself though. I don't know. And I'll call myself out on this. Sometimes I'll see an ad of someone in underwear, let's just say, um, that's heavier. Or, and I'm like, oh, whoa, like for a minute. And I think that's programming. Yes,
1: Yeah, you know, when we look at brain development, for example, and our, our our hindbrain is designed to keep us safe. So our primary thing with this hindbrain is like, I need to be part of the group. And we've been socialized that being part of the group means being attractive. And our, our social construct of what attractive is for us was very thin. Mm -hmm. So our brain is like, you want to be part of the group. You want to be thin. Um, and we get to just sort of recognize like, oh, okay, this is going on over here. And I'm not gonna choose to, to buy into that. I'm gonna mm-hmm. choose to believe something different, but it is there, it is part of our biology. Um, and just just recognizing that's there and saying, well, I, I'm not gonna choose to, to indulge that. I love you. Thank you for trying to keep me safe. Um, yes. But we're gonna go a different direction <laughs> with
0: this. Yeah. So um, if you don't mind going into a little bit about, so your mother and you, or your, they found that you needed some,
1: you know, help yeah, with this,
0: so, and how did that unravel?
1: You know, um, my mom offered me some counseling, and um, she had gone and done some research and found another mom who had a daughter with an eating disorder and gotten a counselor, and initially I wouldn't go. Um, And fortunately or unfortunately, my girlfriend that I threw up with all the time, she got very, very sick. Um, Hmm. She started throwing up blood. She, she got very sick and I got scared. Um, so I, at that point asked my mom if I could start counseling and thank God for my counselor because, uh, she saved my life. Uh, my mom could not have done that. Um, I needed professional help. Um, you know, even... I was as I was getting ready for this. I was sort of thinking about what were some of those key moments in counseling that really changed things for me. And I remember my counselor asking me if I had any idea what hunger felt like. And I remember thinking like, no, I have no idea. I have no idea what it feels like to be hungry. Um, And, you know, doing exercises to reconnect me with hunger and fullness. And, um, and she did a beautiful exercise with me one time where she had me stand up against a wall with like butcher paper and take markers and go down my sides and then walk away and turn around and look. And it was just such a, like an awakening of body dysmorphia because in my head, I was enormous. And there on that piece of paper, all of a sudden was someone who was not. And just realizing again, like, I don't actually see what is truth. Oh, that's um, powerful. Yes. Yeah. Wow. So that that professional help was absolutely vital for me, and thank goodness my mother continued to push in that direction and knew she did not have the skill set to do that. Um, and I'll say that you know people always ask me, well, what was what finally changed for you? Because body eating disorders have one of the highest mortality rates uh, and morbidity rates of almost any illness. And so I'm really one of the lucky ones that has been able to navigate this and move forward and actually feel really good about my body. I mean, not always, but, you know, I'm able to look at the mirror and be like, oh, I look good. <laughs> um, That's and, wonderful. You know, so uh, the last time I threw up, I was 30 years old and I was on my honeymoon and I was in Mexico, <laughs> like this most beautiful place in this moment that was supposed to be you know, it was like the culmination of all these goals. I had found the man I wanted to marry. I was on this honeymoon and he and I had gotten into some sort of a little spat and I found myself, you know, throwing up. And I remember looking up and just thinking, I am supposed to be happy and I'm not. And if I keep doing this, I am just in for this life of pain and I am not willing. To live like this and it was the moment where the pain finally got bigger than the payoff and i just was like i'm not i'm not doing this anymore and that was really where i started doing even deeper work i did some went to some anthony robbins things really looked at you know as an adult okay i'm out of my home i'm not in a controlling environment anymore i get to say what I need. And really the piece for me, the final puzzle piece was realizing that the throwing up was all about control. And it was about me not speaking my emotions. And I have had to learn that speaking my emotions, saying what I need. And I think for women so often, you know, to take this out to the 30,000 mile view here, Mm -hmm. when we look at pain. We look at dysfunctional eating. So often what is happening is we are swallowing our feelings. Yes. Pushing it we down. Are not, you know, we don't, sometimes we don't even realize what the feelings are. We just know we have them and we have this reaction and we go, oh, put that down, put that stuff down. We're not handled. We're not, <laughs> we don't have time for that. And what happens is when we don't handle those emotions over time, they come out, they come out physically in pain. They come out in my case as an eating disorder. Um, and yeah, we, we really do get to learn how to say what we need. Um, and that, that has just been, um, and again, kind of circling back around to physical therapy for me and working with so many of my clients. Um, so often just creating a space for people to express what they need and what's going on. Can can do wonders for pain.
0: Um, yes, yeah. yes. There's a lot of um. The chronic pain, uh, you know, they even say any chronic, chronic smoldering medical conditions, you know, can be deeply rooted in emotional issues. Um, I know in in the Facebook group that I do, we I do try to bring up, um, you know in a respectful way you know, too that, I mean, I don't want to tell everyone, everyone needs therapy, everyone needs, you know, but maybe everyone does need therapy. I'm not really sure. Um, <laughs> however, if you are struggling, if people are struggling with, with, with chronic pain, with a chronic illness, with depression, with anxiety, um, it is hard to fix on your own. And mm-hmm. conventional medicine, allopathic medicine, is just not really set up to handle uh, really actually getting to the root cause and fixing it. Yes, we can give antidepressants and bipolar medications and all sorts of drugs and things. And of course there's therapists that do talk therapy and cognitive behavioral, but um, that would be more in line of someone that actually has time to spend with you. Whereas your primary care Doctor generally doesn't have the kind of time to spend with you. It's just not set up for that. And I kind of this is something a theme I brought up often on the podcast that in a 10 to 20 minute appointment, you're just not going to you you can't even can you can connect a lot with a patient, but you're probably not going to get past a lot of surface things, and you're certainly not going to wrap everything up and even begin to truly help people beyond prescription medications in that setting.
1: Absolutely. And, um, you know, I think this, this kind of speaks to some ways into the shift in my own, in my own practice. And I have this beautiful gift of being a physical therapist in that I get to spend 45 minutes with my patients. And a lot of times, uh, you know, I might be doing a manual technique and I might be, I'm talking to them the entire time. So, and I do this, sometimes two or three days a week. So I really get to know these clients deeply. And, um, you know, and I use, um, I use a lot of uh, coaching, you know, coaching techniques in the world of therapy. But again, kind of one of the things I've noticed is I need to, to really, truly get some of these people better. I need the space to do deep coaching. Uh, now, obviously within the realm of physical therapy, that's not part of my practice, but um, one of the beautiful things in my separate, you know, coaching that I do with people is really being able to get into some of that, that stuff that creates our, our limitations in our world that keeps us from being deeply happy. Um, and um, so yeah, just to kind of circle back around to, to that, like, you know, I have, a I have a coach, you know, Mm -hmm. I coach, but I have a coach, right? right. uh, Yeah. I think all of us have, it's just part of the human condition. It's a beautiful thing. It's not a weakness. It's just, we all need a space where we get to just put it all out there and have somebody give us some objective, like, okay, awesome. And how can we move forward? Yeah, exactly. So when
0: you're doing your coaching, um, is there a specific type of, uh, client that you work with on a regular basis or um certain um conditions um I know some people will kind of niche a bit into um you know types of healing work and or coaching so can you just share a little bit about that too of course in the show notes we'll put you know ways you can learn more about what Nicole does but um I think that it's helpful to also hear a little bit about um you know, and if you wanted to give us an example of someone you've worked with and how that has helped them.
1: Yeah, so I my kind of my niche if you will is intuitive eating Mm -hmm. Um, and it's kind of where I go in with people is moving away from that dieting mentality. Um, 98% of uh, people who lose weight regain their weight within six months. So our current scarcity and deprivation model isn't working. And, um, so helping really helping guide women back to their own body, you know, learning that, that when am I hungry? Uh, when am I full? What, uh, nutrition feels good in my body because what feels good to me and works for me is not the same thing that works for someone else. Absolutely. Um, You know, a vegetarian. So uniquely
0: individual.
1: You're right. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And. The way my, my body responds to carbs may be very different to the way somebody else's body responds to carbs. So there isn't a one size fits all. Um, so really working individually with women in that area, that's, where, that's kind of where I tend to go in. And then as we get into that, we start looking at, you know, where are those places where we stress eat? And where are those places where we, you know, looking at all that stuff. So we get into that deeper limiting belief work, but we go at it through food.
0: Excellent. That's fantastic. And so um, I think one thing I was hoping that we could kind of end with here is um, you talk about being like a recovering perfectionist. And, um, you know, I I was hoping that maybe you'd you'd give some tips to our listeners on, you know, just some practical ways, like, you know, being a perfectionist, um, a lot of people, try to be there, right? I've definitely um, done that myself. I'm from a family of perfectionists and it does create quite a bit of anxiety. It can create, um, you know, all sorts of, you know, fear of failure, um, fear of doing things that are new, you know, all sorts of things. So I was wondering if you might have some tips for anyone that listening about perfectionism and sort of, um, you know, just ways that maybe you could uh, help them to get started on sort of releasing a bit of that. Mm. Or if like there's one thing that you do daily to try to kind of like maybe it's a like an a- certain affirmation or it's a certain journaling yeah. or I don't know. If is there something that, that is you a recommend. Juicy question. Yeah, yeah that I a know, juicy I question. know it maybe, yeah. So I think it's more like uh if they to combat this feeling of needing to, to be a perfectionist too. Like what would that, what kind of things do you offer your clients for that?
1: So I would say two things. Um, and this is just speaking from my own experience and even and working with each client, we get to explore individually part of where that comes from. Yeah. Um, and again, for a lot of us who are perfectionists, part of our identity comes from our achievements. Mm. It's, it's, that my worth and my value is in part because I achieve. You know, I show up, I make the meal, I have the perfect house, I have the job, all the things. Um, So some of it's looking at our individual uh, belief structure around that and recognizing where it's coming from a little bit. Um, And that our value in fact is not in our achievement. Our value is simply because we exist. We were born, we were put on this Planet, um, and we don't have to do anything to earn it. Uh, we we simply are valuable.
0: Yeah. So looking that's at that a, a little bit, that's a wonderful tip because I I know personally my a lot of my identity was completely one hundred percent wrapped up in I was a dermatology PA. I yeah. that's that was my identity ninety five percent, but I was more than
1: that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and we get to really look at that. And so in looking at that, I would say a couple of things there. One is that um, those little celebrations, those daily little celebrations about ourselves, like just acknowledging ourselves for what we do and how we show up. And it can be something like, wow, I was on time to get my 15-year-old from practice today and I had 25 other things going on. Good job, me. Um, so just those little celebrations. Um, and then you asked about like a daily affirmation. I have a, you, you would laugh. I have these, all these little three by five cards that are all stuck on my cabinet in my bathroom. And they're my sort of my daily things I look at. And one of them is my belief about failure. Um, and I actually I actually stole this from Tony Robbins, but it is, I only fail when I fail to learn. I set up my conditions for failure. It's really hard for me to fail now. Because as long as I learn something, I cannot possibly fail. So, um, that's that's
0: powerful because fear of failure is a huge thing that holds people back from doing almost anything new and then daily taking uncomfortable steps.
1: Yes. Yeah, exactly. That in that world of perfectionism, um, I find I don't want to do things if I think I'm not doing them perfectly. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, how I tackled that was going after the limiting belief that created it, which was, you know what, I can't, I can't fail. I cannot fail unless I fail to learn. And there's always something to learn.
0: Gosh, that, that's beautiful. That's a great place for us to uh, kind of put a pin in it. And we awesome. so, so appreciate you being here. I think that, you know, the work that you're doing is, um, you know, in, incredibly valuable um, for, for your clients and then sharing today here, um, is, is hopefully helpful to someone who may be struggling. Um, if you are, you can always check the show notes. Um, I'm sure you have resources for people. Otherwise, if for for some reason you feel like they may need something else, Um, But we so appreciate feedback, too, on the podcast. Um, We do have a voice. uh, I think it's a voice message option where you can actually leave us uh, some comments that way. And if you can subscribe to our channel, it's always helpful to kind of move us forward. But,
1: Nicole, thank you so much for being here. We so, so appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Thank you for making space so we get to talk about this stuff so us women can heal from heal from these things and move forward living our you know, our best life. Excellent,
0: so good.